Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa. Bhutang dhammang sankhang namah sami. First of all, it's not really part of the talk, but I'm very happy to see monks smiling before the talk rather than gritting their teeth and thinking, oh God, here we go again. It's always very encouraging for me as a teacher to see a bit of lightness here. It's also very good to see happy monasteries, happy jhana groovies, because, and happy dhammasara saris. <laughs> I don't know what do you call them. <laughs> because... You know, without happiness, there can never be any deep meditation. And when there's good meditation, there's always happiness come. It's that great story in the Dhammachedya Sutta, if anyone wishes to look it up, when uh, the Buddha told the king that you can expect the community to be smiling and happy when the meditation is going well and when they're getting insights into the path. So that's a sign that things are going well. I know that in the forest tradition they used to say this in Thailand, you can tell if the monastery is going well when the toilets are clean. I prefer that when monks are happy. That's a much better sign that, you know, that the meditation is working. So very good, everyone smiling and having a few laughs every now and again, which is important. But it all um, comes again back to the meditation in these talks. I'm focusing just on the meditation, nothing else. Uh, because this is the key, the heart, this is the power behind one's insight. Many, many people can read the suttas, they can <coughs> uh, understand the Pali much better than I will ever do. And the professors at university, but they can't really understand what it means. It's actually through practicing these teachings of letting go of kindness, of gentleness, that we actually experience what these suttas are describing. It's just like we might very well just take all the guidebooks on Paris and just compare them and write a thesis on guidebooks to Paris. But that way you won't understand what Paris is. If you actually go there and live there, then you understand what those guidebooks are talking about. So it's the experience which is most important of all, which is why in these talks, these aren't theory, (coughs) these are teaching how the meditation actually works. And for a change this evening... I'm uh, following some advice. <laughs> Don't usually follow advice, but not really advice, a request. One of the monks in the interviews asked me, can you please talk about the three Wimokas? Uh, the Wimokas, this is like the releases, the three ways of release through, um, you know, I've got to remember them now, through uh, Apanahita, desirelessness, it's usually called, and Nimitta, Vimoka, and lastly, Sunyata Vimoka, which is the, the emptiness or the no-self. And first of all, you know, you may uh, question me, those who know Pali better than I do, that's the trouble when you teach people Pali. I taught many of you Pali when you, a long time ago, and that was maybe a big mistake because now you know more than I do, and you can pick faults in what I say. <laughs> Be careful when I show Pali, don't teach too many people, otherwise they'll argue with you back. <laughs> But no, the Rimokas, they usually, as far as I understand, as what I've seen in the suttas, reading them, 
is really referring to the jhanas and the arupa states. You know, that's actually what they're referring to, the states of deep meditation. So these are almost like the three different ways into the deep meditations. It's not so much talking about the insights, the paths and fruits, but more towards the, the deep meditation states. And so just remembering that, I thought it's a great chance to start to talk about these three different ways of getting into the deep meditation. You might call it three different ways, but it's three different emphasis. And it just reinforces all I've been talking about before. It's not what you meditate on, but it's how you meditate. It's not the object which you focus on, but it's how you focus. It's how you meditate, not what you're actually doing. And a sense of what you're meditating on. It's nothing to do with the stage you're on at meditation, but it's how you're relating and reacting to this thing called meditation. And of those three ways, the apanahita, the desireless one, is probably the one I've been focusing on most of all during this retreat. I've been telling uh, many of you to have no wanting, no desire, to be able to sit there, and whatever you're experiencing, just stop wanting to be somewhere else. Stop trying to get somewhere else, because all that wanting, all that desire (coughs) is just shaking the mind, it's disturbing it and stopping the stillness. The simile of the water is a great one, which I've told you and demonstrated many times. If you hold the water, you're shaking it, you're doing something. Somehow or other, we have to let it down, and that is by not wanting anything in the whole world. Even wanting good things is going to disturb the mind. And that is like the apanahita, the no goal, the no desire, the not wanting in meditation. Which is, you know, when I just read that this afternoon, just to check up, you know, I was correct, that's probably the meditation, the path which I use more than anything else. No desire, to sit there and not want anything. And I've talked so much about that, I thought it would be interesting to talk about the other two types of uh, pathways into the deep meditations. And the other one, the second one, is the, they call it animata. Now I've talked about the animatas many times, and of course that word means different things in different circumstances, in different situations, in different contexts, was the word I was looking for. <coughs> and you've heard me say many times, when I talk about animatas, this light which appears in the deep stages of meditation, Really, you should call that in full the chitta nimitta, the sign of the mind. Because the word nimitta means a sign, means a label, means uh, something which uh, indicates you know, what you're watching at. This is the sign of the mind. So when the mind gets released from the five senses, it usually appears as a beautiful light, as it does appear when people have near-death experiences, when again the five senses stop, only that time a bit more seriously. But when you're meditating, that's a sign of the mind, the citta nimitta. But just uh, they have the signs of the boundary for this hall, which are the stones in the corner. They're called sema stones. They're called nimittas too. So a nimitta is a sign of anything. And you also have in the party the samadhi nimitta. And when you understand this word samadhi, as I've been pointing out again and again, is stillness. It's actually the sign of stillness. And I must admit, I use that a lot as well. 
you get to know what stillness feels like. You know, you recognize it. You recognize its signs, its nimitta. And if you can focus on that sign of stillness, that will take you into really, really deep samadhi. It's like the mind can focus on that because it is a very pleasant and very easy object to focus on. Now, of course, can I describe that? No, these things are just almost too difficult to to, um, to describe. You know, it's when the mind is still, really still, you can actually feel this is stillness, this is what it is. Uh, one way which I've tried to develop to, <coughs> to be able to teach what I mean is that you, know, I can, uh, you can uh, follow, or rather be aware in your mind after I'm speaking. And I'm now going to do this little exercise. I'll just say to you, just still, still. Still, still. And after I say those words, the mind looks in that direction and it can actually see what that word is pointing at, still. And if you can feel that, that's a sign of stillness. In its weakest probably form, it is samadhi nimitta, the sign of Stillness is a feeling and experience which you can get to know. And as I've been telling many people in their interviews, that once you get to recognize what that nimitta is, that sign of stillness, you can become familiar with it and then you know it so well, you can arouse it and it stays with you a long time. The only reason why these states of mind don't stay with you is because you do something with it. You disturb it. And the only reason why you disturb it is because you know, you're not at ease with it. You tend to control things, to change them, or to sometimes even try to hold them, thinking that way you can keep them for longer and longer. Every one of those ways is disturbing. So when you recognize what these things are and you're familiar with them, you can leave them alone. You don't try and control them or own them. And because you leave them alone, that's when they stay and remain with you. So the feeling, the the experience, the sign of stillness stays with you a long time. Now those are some examples of nimittas which are used in the suttas. So what does this thing mean called adnimitta vimoka? You know, the, the freedom or the deep meditations which comes from no signs at all. And the way to, uh, to understand that is to understand that so often in our meditation we actually put these labels on our experiences, we put so many labels on these things that that causes us business to be done. It's one of the reasons why I was, yes, okay, maybe you can do labeling you know, in that type of vipassana meditation at the very beginning to slow you down a little bit, but to carry on doing that, that will never lead you to any insight or deep meditation. It's just too much labeling. And I know, as you know, that all those labels are pretty arbitrary, cannot be trusted. So the animata samadhi, or the animata sort of vimoka rather, is where you start stopping labeling and judging and saying things to yourself. 
It reminded me <coughs> of that story which you've heard so many times, but it fits in here, of when somebody asked me to comment. This was at Dhamma Loka many years ago. I don't know why they asked me this, but it was a very good question. Can you please comment on Lord Kelvin's quote that in order to um, to control nature, we have to learn how to measure it first of all? And that was a famous quote by a famous scientist and philosopher, understanding if we're going to have some control over the world, in other words, technology, we have to, first of all, learn how to measure everything accurately, first of all. So the first scientist spent a huge amount of resources measuring all these these things and having standard measurements, accurate clocks, so that once they can measure, then we can control. And of course, you turn that around, it meant, and this was a wonderful reason why I say this little quote, if you cannot measure or if you don't measure, then you can't control. And we all know that. For those of you who are left-wing readers of the Guardian newspaper, whenever they try and get to have all your details in some database somewhere, then they can control you. When they can measure you, then these governments or these conspiracy theorists, these world governments, then they've got control over you. They know who you are and what you want. They've measured you, and now you're under their control. When they can't measure you, then they can't control you. And that's really pretty much what happens with our meditation. When we start measuring in our mind, straight away we come desire, control, wanting, feeling good, feeling bad once we've measured our meditation. It's one of the reasons why one of the great teachings which I got from my teacher and now give to you is there's no such thing as a bad meditation. Every time there is a meditation you think it doesn't work, no, stop measuring it. It's all part of the course, it's all part of this part. When it's so-called bad meditations, that is just when you are <coughs> doing the work. The old story, you go to work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you don't get paid. You go to work Friday, you get your paycheck, and from that day on you decide only to go to work once a week on Fridays when you get paid. That old joke, which I made up, which is what people want to do with meditation. The tough meditations, the so-called tough meditations, they're important too. They're part of it. So we learn not to measure. And it's a brilliant thing when we don't measure things, because so much of your your measurements are uncertain, which is why in the Visuddhimagga, apparently, they say this animator, this unmeasured path, uh, to, or signless path to uh, the deep meditations is all about contemplating anicca. And of course, anicca sort of rise and fall, change, it's not good enough, but the uncertainty aspect of anicca, now that is the part of anicca which you know, I can connect very easily, and you can, should be able to connect very easily to the animita path, the, the signless path. Because this anicca, what Ajahn Chah would always call it, uncertain, unreliable, just that is actually what happens when we do label things, a good meditation, bad meditation. You can't trust that. It's unreliable, it's uncertain. So stop judging. And of course, you start that non-judging path with one another. 
I'm very glad when I talk to you in your sort of little interviews, you're getting it now that you're not judging one another. If someone is, is says something bad, just give them the benefit of the doubt. Don't judge them. Giving them the benefit of the doubt is uncertain. Maybe I misunderstood what they said. Maybe they were talking to someone else. I just happened to be in the way. Maybe when they said someone was a fat pig, it was somebody else who happens to be fat in this monastery, not me. But given the benefit of the doubt, there's a few of you who are still catching up with me. And instead of taking it personally, you make it uncertain, give it the benefit of the doubt, <laughs> which means you don't get angry. This means you're not measuring anymore. You're not measuring that person. Because as soon as you measure that person, you judge them, you put that aside, they got angry at me, they said something which is wrong, then you just lost heaps of energy because anger just sucks energy, it sucks time away. Your meditation is lost, it's going to be damaged for days. Just one moment of anger, it's just not worth it. And it's the same with even the food you eat. I don't know what food you like and what food you don't like, but you know it is pretty unreliable, your likes and dislikes. I was reflecting that a couple of years ago I was invited to go to a conference in Melbourne, they gave me a nice hotel for two nights uh, in, I think it was something on the park or whatever. Really nice hotel. And I told them I need my lunch before 12 o'clock, which they arranged. And they said, oh, you're very lucky. The head chef is a Sri Lankan. He's made you a nice vegetarian Sri Lankan curry. <laughs> now you're laughing because you know that I don't like Sri Lankan curry. <laughs> But, despite all that measuring, it was uncertain. Because it was a Sri Lankan curry and it was one of the most delicious meals I've eaten. It was delicious. It totally surprised me. So much for all my judging. <laughs> so, I remember that. That was really weird. I thought, oh God, this is going to hurt. I've got to eat it anyway. <laughs> Got no choice. I put it in my tummy and it was delicious and I was fine all afternoon and evening. So this is that nimitter which you can put on to something that this is Sri Lankan curry means I don't like and you can't rely upon that. It's amazing how free you can become when you don't put labels on things. Now imagine what you do in meditation when this happens. You're just watching the breath. You don't label it. When you don't label it, you can't control it. You don't label anything. You don't put a sign on anything. It's totally uncertain. Whatever you think it is, maybe it's not that after all. Now that does leave you just with no place to stand on. It leaves you with no goal to strive for. It leaves you with nothing to criticize and find fault with. You just can't judge anything. You give every moment the benefit of the doubt. Just like you give what people say the benefit of the doubt. You don't judge them. It's amazing how peaceful you can become when you just, this is uncertain. I don't know what this is. I'm not going to strive because I don't know where to strive for. It's very scary doing animator practice because you really have to let go of this trying to find a foothold anywhere in the world 
trying to find out who you are, what you're supposed to be doing, where you're supposed to be going. It's amazing just how many times people come and say, Jambram, just please tell me what to do. Give me something to do, anything to do. I say, no, that's torture. (laughs) I'm not not sure what I'm supposed to be doing. Brilliant, you've got it. (laughs) Now, can you live in that sort of uncertainty when you're meditating there and I don't know what's going on. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, a lot of time that happens to you, <laughs> to each one of you, sooner or later in this meditation retreat. What the hell am I supposed to be doing? I'm not quite sure anymore. Brilliant. <laughs> now you've got a chance. <laughs> Another time people are, oh, just give up. Yes, at last. And you get very still. As you can see, just every time that you try and measure everything and just get all the path, you work it all out. I do this, then I do that, then I do something else, and I do something else. You work it all out with your schedules and your plans and exactly how you're going to meditate and where you're going to meditate and just what you're going to eat before you meditate and all that sort of stuff. That doesn't work. So have this beautiful sense of just totally disappearing and letting go all these plans and all these signs you sit there and you just do not judge you just watch this moment good moment, bad moment, who knows good, bad, who knows every moment is like that it means you just you can't steer your ship anymore you've got no compass you've got no charts it's unlimited it's, it's unsigned Uncharted waters. It's scary, isn't it? And this is a whole point of this thing, to lessen this control, lessen this sense of ownership. And if you can get into that, <laughs> yeah, it's scary at first, but it's so peaceful. At last I've got nowhere to go. No place to aim for. I'm just here. Just in just... Uh, in a boat, in a sea, just look around you and it's the same in all directions. No landmarks, no signs, no place to go. So I might as well just enjoy just being here. That's the only choice which is left, just to be here. Not striving to go anywhere. And that's like animator, like signless. But be very careful. If you do this, any of this meditation, you have to do it 100%. Because if after a while you say, it's not working. <laughs> what do you mean it's not working? What you, You've got another sign and it's someplace you're supposed to get. It's not supposed to work. <laughs> you know, that's the wrong way of looking at things. It's just this, okay? It's not supposed to get you anywhere. It's supposed to stop you wanting to get anywhere and all this idea of getting anywhere and signs and better and worse and, and all this sort of stuff. If you really do it properly, no signs, nowhere to go, you can't do anything. Things slow down and they stop, you get peaceful. And all these <coughs> stages of meditation, they just happen in their own ways. And sometimes they do appear just a bit weird, not how you expected. As it says in the Sapurisa Sutra, I think, one of those favorite quotes which each one of you know now, whatever you expect it to be, it's something different. One of the most beautiful quotes. And I saw that, I thought, wow, that's brilliant. 
Because in my life I always had expectations, what it's like to be a monk, what it's like to be a senior monk, what it's like to be a teacher, what it's like to be old. It's not quite like what I expected. What it's like to die. Whatever you imagine it to be, it will be different. What it's like to get into jhanas. You have all these expectations, those who haven't been there yet. I will tell you, it will be something different. Whatever you expect it to be, it's something else. That's how the Buddha taught. And that is just brilliant. It means that it stops all those expectations. So all these you know, enlightenment, powers and fruits, liberation, whatever you expect it to be, it's going to be something different. The meaning of that is, or rather its purpose, is to stop you imagining and expecting and judging and giving the future any of these signs, giving Nibbana a sign, giving Jhana a sign. So when there's no signposts, you can't go anywhere. There's nothing to to point you in any direction other than just inside and being here. All signposts point to somewhere else. And instead, when all the signposts are gone, you're just left with being here at last. And I say that the whole of the meditation is just being more fully where you already are, deeply full where you already are, so still and when you are still, you know you're really here when things start to vanish and disappear. And that's another sign of animata. Things vanish. All the signs where you expect to be. That's why it's scary because all of the signs which give you a sense of familiarity, this I know, this is Bodhinyana Monastery. <coughs> you see the signs, you know the signs when you walk back to Jhana Grove, you can know exactly where you are. You see the signs and the landmarks on the way to your room and hut. Imagine that all those signs are gone. Totally dark. You don't know where to go. It can be pretty scary. That's why this is tough to do. Why is it scary? Because you're afraid of losing something. This is what you're supposed to do in this meditation. Lose everything. As I said in the introduction to my latest book, The Art of Disappearing, get lost. <laughs> what is supposed to happen? Well, this is what happens at Adnibita. There's nothing there. And all that happens to you is you just start losing things. Things start to vanish. Your whole idea of who you are and where you're supposed to go, what the body is, what the mind is. We've got so much, many things which we have to lose. And as soon as you start patinisaga, throwing them away, the better. And so you lose a lot when you get to animata because much of the way you've lived your life is totally taken away. It's very different. You don't know where you are and you don't care. You're just happy being here. And with that happiness, that comes. That's a good sign. The meditation is working. You get very still, very peaceful, very lost, which is the whole point of this. This sense of self is vanishing. And that does bring you on to the <coughs> the sunyata, which is people love the sunyata sort of path because that is not as scary. They think it's not as scary because it's, you know, what a good name. 
Animata, not very many people talk about that. But the sunyata, the emptiness, and so many people talk about that, especially in Mahayana. But what does it actually mean to the sunyata vimoka? You know, it does actually mean that, look, there's nobody in here. There's nobody doing the meditation. So why are you striving? You just, by striving, you're just creating more of a sense of a me, a self, and that can't be the path to liberation. <coughs> it just makes a bigger sense of me and mine. And we've just been chanting the Anatta Lakana Sutta, the Sutta on no self, which created the first five enlightened beings after the Buddha. And you can see just its great power. And so, now the, at the, uh, sunyata vimoka, the path of becoming into jhanas through sunyata, which is the same as no self, empty of a self, is just what they said in the Anatalakana Sutta. This body, these feelings, these perceptions, the will and thought and the consciousnesses, these aren't mine. This is not me. I am not the one who knows. I am not the person who decides. If it was, then I could control these things. <laughs> Can you control your will? Sometimes you do things you know you regret afterwards. Don't worry about it. It's not your fault. It's wonderful. It's, people blame me. It's not my fault. I told that silly joke about the toilet paper. It was just my Sankara told that. It's my will. Nothing to do with me. Blame my Shankara. No one to blame. Or if you, <laughs> if you sort of, your consciousness, that's not me. So how on earth can you control your consciousness? In that sutta it said, if your consciousness belonged to you, you can tell your consciousness, consciousness, go into jhana. And it will be able to do that. But you can't do that. Many of you have been trying for the last month or two, or years. Consciousness, come on, get into jhana. You see the mistake we make there. So instead of trying to control and make it happen, when we realize emptiness, or we do the, the uh, sunyata vimoka, the path of emptiness, well, there's nobody in here. So, if there's no one in here, there's no one to achieve anything. So, you know, at the end of this retreat, when people say, you know, especially those of you who just come for three months, you go back to Germany or Brazil or Netherlands, wherever you go back to, and they say, how did you do? You say, I don't know. I just, there's no one in here that did anything. I've gone, I've disappeared, okay? <laughs> it's much better than saying, I attain this, I attain that. If you go back and said, yes, I attain jhana, I attain streaming, I attain something else, or I, I'm fed up, any of those is stupid. Who's fed up? Who's frustrated? So when they do the sunyata one, there's no one here who's frustrated. It's just frustration, but it doesn't last. Yeah, there's jhanas, but they don't belong to you. There's bliss, there's peace, there's frustration, and it's all par for the course. I love saying that. I love saying that this is like a big bus we're all on. And whether we run to the front of the bus, or we just sit in the back and be lazy and read books, or whatever we do, the bus gets the destination the same. 
I always like sort of airline similes because I, I go in airlines a lot. You know, it's, it's always amazing that whenever I'm waiting to get on the aircraft, there's all these people, they're queuing up to get on first. I don't know what they do that for. <laughs> and those same people who queue up first to get on are the ones who get up first to get off. If you, if you don't like the aircraft, you know, just be the last one to get on. Be consistent, for goodness sake. But, you know, if you know you really like the aircraft, yeah, queue up and be the first to get on, but please be the last to get off. Be consistent, for goodness sake. <laughs> but they they always think, but it doesn't really matter where you sit on the aircraft. You get there at the same time anyway. I always like those aircraft where as soon as it lands, it's usually these uh, domestic aircraft, especially over in Indonesia. I always like them. They land. And then everybody, you know, even before it's finished taxiing sometimes in Indonesia, they undo their seat belts and start getting their stuff and they, they charge to the front to get off first. And a couple of times, after they've all charged to the front to get off first, the PA system comes. And this, this afternoon we're disembarking from the rear door. <laughs> a few times that's a really great when that happens. <laughs> and they all get stuck in the front. Not getting rid of <laughs> but anyhow, <clears throat> that's you no know, shout and fraud, I think. But anyway, they deserve that. But this is our car practice. You know, all those people are really putting in the time, and all those people are being lazy. <laughs> You're all going to get there at the same time. Isn't that a wonderful thing to know? <laughs> so those people are putting in the hard, the hard yards, working very hard. Think, oh, it's not unfair. That person in the next room to me, they're just not getting up till six thirty just in time for breakfast, and I'm getting up at 3 o'clock and meditating really hard. Why? How come they're getting light at the same time as I do? That's unfair. I put all this effort in, and I do all this. and blah, 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 blah. That's ego and sense of self. So the sunya term means, you know, you're just doing this. It's just an automatic process. It's not coming from you. When you meditate in the morning, it's not me decides to get up in the morning, just body and mind gets up. I decide to watch the breath or whatever it is. I don't really do that. Just mind does it. I don't do a thing. Because as soon as I start doing things, as soon as there's a perception of a me in there, it all stuffs up. So the sunyata liberation is you take all perceptions of a sense of self out of this. You sit there and disappear. So it's not even you watching whatever you're watching. It's just the mind just watching a thought. You know how wonderful it is when you're thinking all sorts of stuff and there's no I in there. Alas, there's no one to blame. So you don't get frustrated anymore. All frustration comes when there's a sense of I. You know, I want to get somewhere and I haven't got there yet. I want to be peaceful. I want to get jhanas. I want, I want, I want to. You have to have an I before it. When there's no I, there's no sense of self, no sense of me. All wanting just hasn't got, it hasn't got a pronoun to make it into a verb. It can't do anything. So when there's no sense of self, again, it's another way you just can't do anything anymore. There's no one to achieve anything. There's no one to get anywhere. Even if you do get enlightened, you don't get any praise for it. There's no one there. 
It's like you work very hard and they send a check, but there's, there's no person to receive the check. What a waste of time. You've got no address, there's no place to send it to. This is a beautiful way of learning how to have no desire, no attainments. And that's again what I said last week from the Visuddhi Magga, that wonderful saying, the path is, but no traveller on it is seen. And that was a beautiful saying because when I meditated, I tried not to be a traveller. I wasn't walking the path, I wasn't practising. I wasn't doing anything, I disappeared. And you realise the more you disappear, the less is a person doing the meditation, the less is this concept of me meditating, and it's just meditation happening, and not judging good or bad. Then the path was so easy. Meditation was just simple when I disappeared. But the more there was a sense of me behind this meditation, the path got narrower and narrower until it was hardly any path at all. It was like walking on a tightrope. You kept falling off. But as soon as the sense of self vanished, or the more it diminished and disappeared, the path became wider and wider. You just couldn't fall off it. And you staggered from the left to the right. It was just so wide. There's no way you can fall off it. That's why the path is. But no traveller on it is seen. Beautiful little saying. So when you're meditating, try not to do the meditation. I often say that I can't meditate. I like to say that when I give talks to people who think I'm this great meditation teacher. Written many books, many people come to learn from me. And I say that I cannot meditate. And that's on, on this tape, and I stand by that. I, Ajahn Brahm, cannot meditate. You know, the answer to that is, I have to disappear for meditation to happen. So as soon as Ajahn Brahm disappears, as soon as I vanishes, then the meditation just goes so beautifully. So when you are meditating, if you want to try the sunyata path to the liberations, incredibly deep liberations, instead of trying to strive and get rid of thoughts, really work hard to be in the present moment or to be able to watch the breath. You're really working hard to try and get some pity, sugar, some joy up in the meditation. You're really trying to sit for long periods of time. Stop it. Instead, just sit down and take away the sense of self, the I. So you're not doing anything because there's no one in there anymore. Imagine that this, this person with your name with your history, can just take a break, can butt out, as they say in Australia, can just disappear for a few moments, can get lost just for half an hour. So you, who you think you are, <coughs> what you think you, <coughs> you can do and can't do, all your attributes and achievements, your gender and your age and whatever else, you know, you describe yourself as, see if that person can vanish. So you're just sitting here, actually no one's sitting here. Your eyes are closed, but there's no one doing the meditation. Imagine that. 
Imagine the thoughts are there, but there's no one doing the thinking. There's no one watching the thoughts. Just nothing. Empty. And see what happens. Because if you can take away that sense of self, usually what happens, if you do it properly again, you have to do it 100%, just keep on investigating, playing until you do it properly. It's a bit scary, but it's so beautiful. At last. I don't have to do anything anymore. I don't have to achieve things. I don't have to worry what people think of me because there's no one to be thought of anymore. You vanish. And when you vanish, all the craving vanishes. When the craving vanishes, things become still and peaceful. There's no problems anymore. When there's no problems, there's nothing to do. So you stop, become still. That's samadhi. Stillness upon stillness upon stillness. And it gets so peaceful and blissful. And you get into the deep meditations. So those are little three ways to help with a meditation practice. Incredibly powerful. But it's not just to get into the meditations. <coughs> Afterwards you realize these are actual truths. Not only do they work to give you this incredible bliss, peace and stillness, they also serve to show you that, yeah, you know, all these things, that things are unreliable, the labels we give on to life, you know, good, bad, who knows. All of those labels are pretty unreliable, uncertain. You know, I like Sri Lankan food, I like mushy peas, I like this or whatever. We put all these labels on, but I'm sure if you if you gave me some food with my eyes closed, put on these um, these eye shades and gave me some food, you could sell me all sorts of stuff, I'm sure. Things which I didn't like at all. That's delicious. And afterwards you find, oh God, is that what I ate? <laughs> you know that works. You take all these labels off of your meditation. If you can somehow close those eyes of labeling in your mind. Just this uncertain. Is this restless? Is this sloth and torpor? Try not to label and see what happens. You get a totally different meditation experience. Because you're not labelling, you can't do anything, you become still, and you become incredibly clear, incredibly happy and still. So I said at the very beginning of this meditation retreat, stillness, samadhi is our path. Samadhi mago, asamadhi kumago. That's some sutta somewhere. It means stillness is the path. Samadhi, stillness, mago, path. Asamadhi, which means no stillness. Kumago, wrong path. So stillness is essential. And this is where we become still. Three ways of becoming still. Sum up once again. What was it? I forget now. Desireless, not wanting anything. Not labelling. No signs. So you don't know where you're going. Who cares? And lastly, sunyata. No person in there. Nothing at all. Not me. Disappear. The path is when no traveller is found. So that's the talk this evening. The man, why did the tie aside? The dumbass.